Hey, did somebody call for backup? What's up, prodigies? And welcome to our first ever episode of Call for Backup, a prodigal son podcast from Nerds and Beyond. This week, we'll be dealing with the events of season two, episode one. So if you're not caught up, this is your big spoiler warning. Come listen to us once you've watched, either on Fox Now or on Hulu. So joining us this week are several of our Nerds and Beyond writing team. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Kaylee, and I'm a staff writer at Nerds, and you can find me on social media at Kaylee Gross. This episode, I'm joined by Megan, Brianna, and Jules, so thanks guys for joining. Brianna is providing a quick recap of the episode. Jules will be discussing our favorite one-liners, noteworthy moments, and providing final thoughts of the episode, as well as introducing our new segment, Malcolm Danger Count. I'll be helping to discuss our theories for season two and giving you an inspirational parting gift with some words of wisdom. Before we begin, I want to let the other staff members introduce themselves and explain what they do for nerds. I'm Megan. I'm a staff writer, and you can find me on Twitter at Marvel Stalina. I'm Brianna, an editor, and you can find me on Twitter at BookBag09. And I'm Jules. I am an editor, writer, and content assistant, and you can find me on Twitter at JulesWritesBlog. All right, before we discuss the events of the episode, let's do a brief refresher on what happened because a lot happened. In this episode, Bright starts off by bringing in a serial killer, showing that his investigative skills are the only thing keeping him from going over the ledge, literally. Ainsley thinks Malcolm killed Endicott and Malcolm plans to keep it that way. JT is acting head of major crimes while Gil recovers, but he's facing a lot of racism on the job that he seems very conflicted about reporting. Our killer of the week is obsessed with justice, And it turns out he's the executioner of a wrongfully convicted man. And now he wants revenge on the people who framed the man and inadvertently made the executioner a murderer in his own eyes. Malcolm is increasingly erratic, worrying Gil, his mom, his sister, and basically everyone else. Oh, and Bright may or may not have conflicting feelings about what happened with Endicott spurred on by his daddy issues. No biggie, right? If you want more info and detail, on how everything went down for this episode, you can check out our recap on Nerds and Beyond. That's up now. And now, on to our discussion. Okay, so getting to the moments from the episode that we all really wanted to talk about and highlight, the first thing that we just, we have to start with is that the writers came out absolutely swinging this season because of the one-liners. I mean, there were so many one-liners this episode that we're pulling out a few to highlight just because we can. Um, They've truly never had this many one-liners in one episode. And we start right off at the beginning. They're standing on the ledge. Malcolm sees the serial killer standing on the ledge of a building and interrupts with, sorry, this ledge is taken. I mean, my (laughs) God, like, it's just, it's perfect. (laughs) I was just going to say that it was just really um, attention-grabbing right at first because you're like, Malcolm, what are you doing? We already questioned his it's just, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> self-preservation. <Everything. laughs> yes, exactly. We just, we're like always constantly worried about him, but it just it came, yeah, they came swinging, that's for sure. Always. And then they also follow it right up with some amazing banter. We have the whole team there, which is great because it's rare to have the whole team. It's rare to have Adresa with everybody. And Bright naturally is supposed to wait for them to anchor a tether and knowing Malcolm Bright he did not wait for them to anchor the tether before he moved forward with his plan 
And Idrissa mentions that she's going to be able to help them out because she went through a light bondage phase back in Hoboken. Hoboken. I'm great with a knot. Sorry for my pronunciation of that town in New Jersey. I apologize to everyone from New Jersey. But that was just such a great moment there from Idrissa. I mean, all these weird little facts that we're learning about her. I am fascinated. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I want the delivery. <laughs> the delivery is my favorite. She like. I have to just shout out to Kiko for this one because I don't think anyone else could have done that but her. She just, like, it was just without hesitation, just quick like that. And she's really good at having that comedic timing. I've always really admired that about her. And I just, it's my favorite. She's like, I'm great with a knot. I was like, I believe it. (laughs) And she's so happy and chipper about it too while he's hanging off a building. That's always just so casual too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. His JT's little look reaction to, her. to that was incredible. Yes, yes um, it was. <laughs> I want more of them together, which is also a pairing that I would love to see more of is JT and Adrisa. And then our next one-liner that I, I think is probably one of the best single one-liners we've ever had on the show. As usual, Martin has horrific timing, um, calling Malcolm as he's dangling over the side of a building. Malcolm, because again, no self-preservation instincts, decides to answer the phone uh, while hanging over the side of the building. And when Martin says that he has sensational news, <laughs> Malcolm's first thought is, please say it's cancer. And Tom Payne's <laughs> line delivery on that was perfect because it was just a little aside. The way that he said it was so quick, it was almost blink and you'll miss it. And it's such a great line. So, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I laughed out loud. It was probably one, one of my of favorite lines. That, that is one of my so favorite lines in the entire series. Yeah, it, it just... Hurt like again another perfect delivery it just and he just it kind of gives you a little sneak peek into their relationship like yes he is you know we know that martin is um malcolm's dad but it just for him to almost wish cancer on his father really tells you just how they get along <laughs> just i just i can't imagine i it's just too much for me to handle it reminded me a lot of the uh the times that Jessica would answer the phone in season one. It's like, we're seeing a little bit of her come through in him. I feel like Malcolm has these Mm -hmm. thoughts a lot, but usually probably internalizes them in this time. Just outright, I hope it's cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And Jessica, I mean, Jessica's like the queen of one-liners. She's always got a witty comeback ready to go. And we see it again in the next scene where she, shocker, surprises Malcolm at his apartment because this woman has a key and no personal boundaries. And she asks him to save some pills for mommy when he's doling out his anti-psych meds, (laughs) Uh, which is just, I I absolutely love Bellamy. And I think that her delivery on these lines is just fantastic. And that scene was so great. Yeah, the cast went all out for this episode, I think. They really... uh... Not that they don't mm-hmm. every episode put their all into everything that they do, but I think especially for this episode because it was just this long awaited premiere due to COVID and everything. So I'm I'm very, very pleased with this episode, especially the one liners have to be one liners. Yeah, absolutely. And you could feel them all being so excited to be back. And like I look at when you have a Drisa with the team, which is always a treat anyway, because she's not always there on the scene. But when mm-hmm. they're starting to question the lawyer. And she gets so excited that she starts basically jumping ahead of the story and then kind of has to go, oh, I'm so sorry. I got excited. I don't normally see this part. I mean, how cute, right? Like how adorable is Adresa in that moment? She's always cute. She's I love adorable. her. I love we, her. We stand Adresa. I have missed her. Oh, yes. 
And anytime Ugh. her and Malcolm start, you know, nerding out over murder, it's just, I would just I'd watch a whole episode of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that scene in the morgue was a, off. another particular favorite of mine for this episode. Yeah, so when Idrissa figures out that it's the guillotine and Malcolm just instantly nerds out, like, oh my God, I can't believe another human being on this planet cares enough about old-time <laughs> murder weapons to look this up. I mean, it's just, it's very funny when they get to kind of so stuff together. So cute. Now, this line, I really love Michael Sheen, first of all, just getting that out of the way. Um, <laughs> but his delivery, when he gets a good one-liner, is fantastic. When Malcolm first comes to visit him and we are introduced to Jerry, his new roommate, for the first time, uh, obviously they're not getting along very well. They've got slightly different personalities. And Michael Sheen turns to Tom Payne and says, good stuff, Jer, I'm in hell. And the way that he... <laughs> I'm in hell. I mean, it's been in every promo and it's there for a reason. It's just the funniest line. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that was just hilarious. Love it. Good old, good old mm-hmm. Jer Bear. <laughs> a Jer Bear who had yeah, quite the episode. He really, really had quite the episode. And what's great is that really they were did. giving one-liners to everybody this episode. They were giving it to the main cast, but then even our guest star, who I forget his name, but the man who was basically running the sex dungeon in his basement, the fact that he was so nonchalant about everything that was happening, that when they asked him what was downstairs, he just said sex dungeon. Like some people might say, oh, that's my living room. Oh, that's my <laughs> kitchen. Oh, that's my sex dungeon. Like that whole bit was so perfect. Of course, because of course, if you have an old time guillotine in your house, you definitely also have a sex dungeon. Yeah, he's Clearly. like, you don't, you guys don't have one of those? Well, that's not super yeah. weird. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, everyone this side of town has a sex dungeon. He's like, he probably knows, honestly, probably knows the best guy in town. I'll tell you that. If you own that house, you have to make one of the rooms a sex dungeon. It's not even, it's, you just have to. I mean, he had this huge right. mansion with nothing to do. Exactly. You it's know? in the blueprints. So when you sign sign for the the house, yep, sex dungeon, check. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Again, we have another fantastic Martin line where we have him sort of trying to help his roommate. We can debate whether it was help him to the other side or help him overcome his debilitating mental illness. Um, But Martin tries to shock Jerry. Jerry shockingly doesn't die. Uh, and when they ask him what happened, he responds with a miracle. Um, so I don't know. Do you guys think that he was trying to kill Jerry or do you think he was trying to help him? I think he was I trying to kill him. Agreed. Both, <laughs> he maybe. Just... Especially with the way he delivers the one line after he hits him and he hits uh, Malcolm in the head with the shoe where he's just like, you really shouldn't have done that. You can kind of see <laughs> the murder come out in Martin in that moment. So I definitely oh, think yeah. he's it off him. And he had another quick mm-hmm. line too. It was like, sorry, Jer Bear, it's not you, it's me. And then he like yeah. does the, like, you know, sends the currents. But I just, we never know what he's up to. So I I think he just flies by the seat of his pants sometimes as as well as this whole, you know, family. But um, it was it, definitely a hilarious scene for sure. And a great one-liner. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> And then we have two that are kind of related to each other. And I included the second one. Well, you'll see why. But the first one is a comment on Malcolm's hair, which is different this season. Um, We saw it in the promo photos and we saw it in the episode itself. Uh, And the killer actually remarks upon it 
To which Malcolm responds, that's the third time this week I must be giving off murdery vibes. Is it my hair? And the answer to that question is yes. Always. <laughs> I think it is. It is it's always the hair. Always it's the hair. The hair. Mm-hmm. It's always the hair. <laughs> we definitely see his mental state is kind of reflected in his hair because when he's having a good day you know it's all slicked back it's normal but when it starts getting out of place and crazy that's when he's having a rough time and Malcolm is certainly going through it uh in this premiere and then the last line that I have because it's 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 perfect is when Malcolm is attempting to talk his way out of yet another serial killer showing up in his apartment situation the killer stops him by shouting at him all you do is talk which should just really be his motto at this point he's not wrong <laughs> he's he's not wrong you're right Brianna. he's not Mm-mm. wrong he just um i was just gonna say that he it's just how he like he talks it through and it's just how he can just keep talking and it just distracts everybody because they want to focus on what he's saying and he just has a way to push buttons and other people and i think that's how he survives oddly he's, enough he's a master is stalling I've yes noticed. that's yes really Thank you. he's yeah. learning he's learning to wait for backup you know well, I mean, the fact that I he's able that. to like get into their heads just so quickly while he's like almost being killed mm-hmm it's a talent that he has. <laughs> it's, it's a, a talent, talent and it's a complete lack of self-preservation. They're, both of those oh, things yeah. go hand in hand <laughs> in Malcolm Whitley. That's his autobiography or his biography. Yes. Just Malcolm Bright, no self-preservation skills and can talk your ear off. <laughs> All you do is talk, the Malcolm Whitley story. Yes. Clearly, <laughs> that should be the memoir. There it is. <laughs> Copyright it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so those are our favorite one-liners and some of our favorite moments from the episode. We also kind of just wanted to talk about some of the overall things that were going on, some themes that we noticed. And one thing that kind of jumps out right away is that the show has decided that in the world of the show, COVID-19 has already happened. It's in the past. Everybody's out of the quarantine. Um, And a fascinating little aside, we learned that (laughs) Martin Whitley is responsible for stopping the spread of COVID in this prison that he was in. Um, But what do you guys think about the show's choice to kind of move on from COVID and to tell stories past that point in the timeline? Personally, for me, I kind of like it. I feel like so many of the shows I watch now are incorporating it and I understand why so that they can, you know, go back to filming and be safe and have the masks on screen. But I kind of like that this, I have this one little corner within this show where it's not the main focus. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I Sometimes, it, although it's pretty much all we see on the news and, you know, cases rise every day, it's kind of nice to escape for a little bit, even though, you know, these, because I like how they still acknowledged, acknowledged it, but didn't mm-hmm. focus too much on it because honestly, they probably had more story to tell. Yeah, I feel the same way. I also watch like a decent amount of shows that have decided to incorporate COVID just because of like the type of storylines that they do and the type of show that they are. But I only have watched like a few shows so far this season that have decided to set their storyline like a post-COVID world and to like just get that like little escape from the real world it's nice and not to have it like be like the main storyline 
isn't it incredible that on a show about serial killers and murder, that is our escape from a global pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> I just think that that's really, yep. I, I, and I agree with you guys. I, I think it was kind of a good idea because honestly, there's no way to do this show if you're incorporating COVID into the plot line because he's mm-hmm. a profiler, he's going to crime scenes. It would be very difficult to kind of rework the show for the world that we live in and still have it be the entertaining show that we have. So I, I agree with their decision. I think it was probably a good choice to move forward as much as possible. Um, one of the other storylines that we are following, obviously, um, because it's the continuation from the craziness that was the season one finale, is the end of it all. We thought we were done talking about this guy. We're not done talking about this guy. Uh, even from beyond the grave, there's a lot going on. Um, so there's a few things we can talk about here. One of them is Ainsley is remarkably cavalier about the fact that Malcolm murdered a guy in her eyes. Cause I mean, she obviously doesn't know that she was the one who did it, but she does know that her brother killed a guy. So what do we make of this? Why is Ainsley just kind of living her life knowing that this man is dead and her brother covered it up? I think there's more we haven't seen between them. Like, I think because there was kind of a jump in time, I think that somehow like they talked about it or there's something we're not seeing because there's no way. I just, I, I don't know. I think there's something that we're missing that, that, that they've both accepted perhaps because we know Endicott is like the mother of all bad guys. Um, I just, I don't, like I said, there's something missing there. I think she's compartmentalizing. I think she does that exceptionally well. We've saw that in season one at least. So I think she's kind of got her little box that Malcolm and this murder live in. And we've only seen her so far working, not working a case, but reporting on a case. So she was in work mode. And I mean, she checks in with him a little bit, but I don't think we'll really see that until we're out of that space. Yeah, I agree so. with both of you. Like I think that she's like trying, like she's blocking out Mm-hmm. what happened what what she thinks Malcolm did and I think you know if we do see like what her childhood was like that could really like bring up like the missing piece like what really goes on in her mind and everything yeah for sure and it's interesting too because obviously you know Malcolm's very affected by this but we get that scene at the end <laughs> with Martin where we realize that what he's kind of really con- concerned about is his own response to it. Was he appropriately disturbed by it? And, you know, it's interesting the show has chosen to start off with this guy, Endicott, being the one who's dead because I, I could not feel less sorry for Endicott. <laughs> like, I, like I'm, I'm fully on board with, with murder in his case, but yet you still have to kind of wonder, like, is it okay that Malcolm isn't really feeling that guilty about it? Like, do you guys think that the show is going to explore that a little bit more? Like, whether he should feel guilty about killing the worst human being on earth (laughs) yes and no um yes because I think what he said when he was talking to Martin was that you know he he stops killers he doesn't help them so he you know it, it goes against everything that he's that he stands for but at the same time Martin brought up a point that he did save his sister and save his family from yet another news story really and from another trauma um I mean it's sad that Martin not Martin Malcolm 
too many M names in the show. Um, we do this all the time. I hope you guys oh, listening yes. at home know this is a constant <laughs> struggle for the Nerds and Beyond crew. We need to we need to keep a tally. So one, one, one for one. Um, <laughs> but I feel bad that Malcolm has to keep this all to himself because he can't really tell Ainsley what really happened. Which honestly, can I just say as a side note, how do you believe your brother who's not covered in any blood that he killed somebody when you are completely covered in head to toe with just blood everywhere. I'd be like, are you sure? She's still dissociating, honestly. Mm -hmm. She's completely like in a dream state. Like even after when we kind of see him telling her like, I did this, like, it's like when like Mm -hmm. you sleepwalk and you're mm-hmm. like awake, but you're not really like, you're not aware. So I, I think that right. she just wasn't even thinking. And we haven't even seen the yeah. full cover up yet. Like we have pieces of it, but it's like, where did Ainsley go when yeah. Malcolm was chopping up a, a body in the living room? Like <laughs> what was so that? many questions. And it's, it's yes. interesting because last season, as I, um, for those that don't know, I actually made a re- reaction video of myself um, watching the last five minutes <laughs> of the, the best thing ever. finale. I would post it, but it's a little explicit, so I won't. Um, I was very surprised. <laughs> I have um, very animated facial reactions, but I, when she's like, she like blanks, I, I can just see that she's not really there. So I was like, she doesn't remember what happened. So she, so I'm, I'm just curious to see how they, um, how they attack that this season with like her disassociation and all of that. So I'm, it's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride. That's for sure. One little thing I did have that I, I'm kind of wondering what you guys thought. Cause I was thinking about this when I watched it and then I rewatched it to kind of prep for this. When Jessica goes to see Malcolm and she sort of mentions that they found Endicott, she kind of has this weird look on her face, almost like, she wants him to tell her that he was involved. Like she has this weird suspicion that he's involved. Do we think that she suspects that Malcolm might be at the root of this? Or is she just kind of like, hmm, there's something he's not telling me. Oh, I think it's, I feel she like- knows something's up, but I don't think she thinks he actually killed him himself. Yeah, I think mm. she doesn't know the extent, but I think that she knows that they're somehow involved. Again, like I feel like mm. there's something that we're missing because it was in the Whitley house. So if mm. she, you know, needed a new rug, um, I know. <laughs> those might, might raise some flags. Might <laughs> <laughs> be like, hmm. hmm. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to some lighter topics. There, there are two buddy comedies running simultaneously in this, this premiere that I think both deserve the airtime they got. First of all, Martin and Jerry, which really I almost wish that we could have spent more time with Martin and Jerry, because anyone who annoys the crap out of Martin Whitley, I, I am fully on board with. I mean, what did you guys think when we first meet him? And I mean, he throws a shoe at Malcolm, like what an introduction. Yeah, that's a little supernatural. Uh, I lost my shoe. <laughs> little tidbit I mean, there. I love Jerry the that. second I saw him on, on screen. He's just it. hilarious. And the way that, that he like just like gets into into Martin's mind <laughs> and just annoys him without even doing anything. And the way Martin <laughs> treats him, I mean, I'm going to love him just for the fact that he got <laughs> Michael Sheen to say, meet me. <laughs> what? It's great. incredible. I kind of wonder now if we're going to have like a running, you know, now that Jerry's healed, quote unquote, are we going to have this like running comedy of different inmates coming through as Martin's roommate throughout the season? 
Martin should not have a roommate, and whoever uh-huh. at that at that psych ward made the decision that Martin Whitley should have a roommate. I don't know if it was like Jerry was so annoying to everyone else that they were like, maybe if we put him with Martin Whitley, Martin Whitley will kill him and we won't have to deal with it anymore. Like, was that the thought process behind giving Martin a roommate? Overpopulation. He needs a long time. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't even come to mind. My God. <laughs> I mean, I love Jerry. I'm just saying maybe that's what we're missing here. Maybe that's why Martin Whitley has a roommate. Yeah, I'm curious to see, like, meet the warden or, like, the, I don't know, whoever runs the psychiatric hospital. Right. Yeah, I'm curious to see, like, what their day-to-day life is. Like, like, like for Mr. David, for example, if you guys don't know, we love Mr. David. He yes. needs his own episode mm-hmm. show. Spin-off. Exactly. I, I, I would watch a Mr. David spinoff. Absolutely. Um, I'm just curious to see just I don't know a day inside Claremont like I just it's curious because how did Jerry end up there what is the real story that's what we want to find out on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) and of course so Martin and Jerry was one buddy comedy but the one that we were all looking forward to all hiatus long it drew Teresa and Malcolm the crime solving duo and besties that we love I mean how funny were these two when they were at the crime scene together looking at the body everyone else is like oh this woman is headless and lying on a bench and the two of them are admiring guillotine technique um so I mean we love them but what did you guys think when we finally got our our first taste in how many months of Idrissa and Malcolm together hashtag besties for life (laughs) worth the wait and I just I forgot how much I missed them I just love them so much they just make my heart melt and just make me so happy while watching a show that is not usually so happy (laughs) they're just a couple of little like murder nerds who have found a kindred spirit in each other and I don't think we'll ever get enough of that (laughs) yeah and I think it's so precious too like it and I think it's a really important part of the show because I think we do need that sort of um innocent sweet moments in such a like a pretty intense show and it's mm. my favorite of all time i love it <laughs> hashtag meldrisa meldrisa for the win yes <laughs> uh, the best friendship so, on tv ever oh yes hashtag yes. meldrisa for life <laughs> <laughs> so if you hear this so the- podcast tweet out and tag us at nerds beyond <laughs> <laughs> hashtag meldrisa so the last thing we wanted to talk about is probably Even in a show with murder, this is probably the most serious thing that happened this episode, um, which is a bit of a different turn for the show, is everything that happened with JT. Um, Mm -hmm. So obviously in the off season between the end of Prodigal Son season one and them coming back to film season two, um, a lot happened. We had the COVID pandemic, but we also had a lot more calls for equality. We had Black Lives Matter protests. And there was kind of a shift in the entertainment industry, particularly on cop shows about whether or not to portray some of this, whether to not talk about it at all. And Prodigal Son did decide to address it head on. You have JT, who's the acting head of major crimes, somebody who's been on the force for, I think they said 10 years, who is racially profiled when he's going to help Malcolm. And clearly this is an important topic. There are a lot of real life examples of this happening that you can only look up many news articles about situations like this. Um, How did we think 
about how the show addressed it. Starting off, of course, with Frank Hart's performance, who is just, he was brilliant this whole episode. He gave yeah. me chills. Yeah. We don't usually see a whole really lot of emotion from him. And this whole episode was just really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate how they, um, well, I honestly, I appreciate his portrayal. Like, it just, it made it feel real. His facial expressions, just his body language, all of it. Like, it made you stop in your tracks. It was powerful, for sure. And I'm really glad they let him, they let him have that vulnerable vulnerable moment with his team and kind of he didn't he didn't mm-hmm. sob necessarily but he cried a little bit and mm-hmm. I mean I feel like we see so much of like push it down don't show emotion so I really like that he was able to share that with them and JT is a character too you know for much of season one really for all of season one he's kind of like the normal one on the team like he's got a wife he's mm-hmm. got a baby on the way he's the comic relief he's kind of the one who's always pointing out how crazy Malcolm's life is and it's sort of rare for us to have this moment of him really being vulnerable like you said Brianna and also just having this kind of dramatic situation and with this show especially so many of the leads are people of color or black you have Danny and JT you have Gil even Adresa sort of fits that so the show definitely I think had to address it in some way and it's kind of well equipped to do so and I think one thing that is kind of different about Prodigal Son is that it's taking the tactic of looking at a profiler who's working with the NYPD. So there's plenty of room to critique the police organization because your main character does not technically work for the NYPD. He's like an outsider and has been from the beginning. Are you guys thinking that this is going to play out over the whole second season? Do you think this is kind of going to be the end of the story? What are your thoughts? Honestly, I wonder... I don't know if this is sort of like a theory, but um, I wonder if the cops that were on scene that night, because I'm sure that, you know, there had to be like an incident report, perhaps, um, or that was the discussion, whether it was to be reported or not. Um, I'm curious to see if it goes any further just with, do the cops have any consequences? Do they lose their jobs? Are they in suspension? You know, is there any sort of training? Because I would hate for them to kind of like throw it under the rug because I think it's an important issue that needs mm. to be addressed um, and to show an example of what not to do. And um, like I said, I would hate for them to kind of blow over it. So I hope that they explore it a little more, but I hope it doesn't, it's not drawn out too much. Because it's also something that's going to keep coming up because this mm-hmm. is JT's experience mm-hmm. and even Dan alludes to it earlier in the episode um, she has a line where she says she's talking about being a young black woman and a cop in the middle of a global pandemic dealing with systemic racism so it's something that she's aware of it's something that JT's aware of and I think it'll be important for the show to not let it fade into the background and sort of say oh okay here's our very special episode on police brutality and racism on the police force and just kind of Mm -hmm. make it more of a thing that's addressed frequently and comes up a decent amount. Right. I'm glad he had the moment of like, we're going to address this. We're not going to shy away from it because it is a real problem, but I I don't want it to be one and done. Like Kaylee said, I kind of want it to be just kind of interwoven little undertones of it here Mm -hmm. and there. Cause that's a lot of what it is. It's just, it's just there under the surface and you don't see it as much on TV being this really subtle thing that it is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's always blown up into these moments and then that's all we ever see. So I hope it sticks. And obviously, Frank Hart's being mm-hmm. as terrific as he was. I hope that we mm-hmm. get to see a little bit more of that side of JT this season because we know he can do the comedy. 
You know, we know that from season one that he has absolutely no problem having, and and even in this episode, having some amazing reaction faces to different things that Malcolm's doing, you know, so we know he can do that, but this really showed that he has great dramatic ability too. So I hope we get to see more of that. Absolutely. And one thing I do want to say really quick is that I'm not sure about where the placement of the scene, it kind of felt rushed. And I know we kind of touched on this um, while we were chatting last night before our podcast, mm-hmm. it was like in the last 15 minutes and it was kind of, I felt like it was pushed in there, but at the same time, it can happen just as quick in real life. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that's what they were going for, but what did you guys think on that? I would have loved to have really seen did. it kind of be its own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. did feel a little rushed, but I mean, like, like everyone said, it would be nice if they, we're, we're to touch more on the story and see where it takes them, depending on how many episodes that the season has, whether or not they'd be able to do it throughout the entire season. It's probably, probably still up in the air. All right. So having said all that, what is everyone's final thoughts for the season premiere of Prodigal Son? Overall, well, I loved it. I mean, everything mm-hmm. about it was amazing. It did feel like there was a lot packed into it, but I think that was intentional mm-hmm. to really I mean, show. They, they made it work. I mean, mm-hmm. not a lot of shows can put so much different, so many different storylines into one episode, yeah. especially in the season mm-hmm. premiere. But Prodigal Not Sun a lot of shows can have their main character just, dance in the sex yeah. <laughs> Because it just goes <laughs> along with the whole story. With Because with, there's always so much going on, no matter what. Yeah, I definitely I like, thought it was a lot. I thought there was so much going on. There was so much going on that they, we literally didn't even talk about Malcolm dancing around in a sex dungeon. <laughs> I, I had to bring it up. I had to. My favorite scene. <laughs> I, had, I had a distinct moment when it was happening of being like, am I really watching Best this? scene. Is this really happening? <laughs> Tom just, definitely enjoyed that scene for sure. Amazing. I just remember when we were watching it last night, we were all just cracking up afterwards. It was incredible. And it's like, we see him go into the criminal's, you know, mindset, the killer's mindset, but he does it so erratically this time. I kind of wonder if this is going to keep coming up. Is it going to be more I hope so. Insane? This is just hilarious. We also don't have a segment on this. I feel like we're going to end up with a pretty hefty dose of these by the end of the season, but that was possibly the best example of the questionable police work that our friend Malcolm Bright <laughs> engages in. Because if I was this guy's lawyer and my client said to me, the reason I confessed was because the police profiler was threatening to whip me and shoot me with a nail gun in the basement of a sex dungeon. Oh, and Danny didn't even stop him. too, don't forget that. She she saw him go in there and she was like, yeah, okay, go go crawl in the the sex dungeon, whatever, I don't care. Danny knows you can't stop Malcolm Bright. You can't (laughs) stop that man. She knows better than to try and control him or she, keep him from doing she, something. She, she just gives up. It was <laughs> she just hilarious. Just do what you do. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think overall it was a it was a pretty great premiere. Uh, like I said, a lot packed in, but I think that they did the best they could because it was cut short last season due to COVID. So I mm-hmm. think they were kind of playing catch up as well. But I think they did a pretty a pretty good job with it. Mm-hmm. For sure, so, definitely. Knowing all of this and everything that we've discussed in the last, I don't know, 20 minutes, 
Um, what do you guys think will happen, like theories for next week and or for the rest of the season? I don't know. Well, we have some pretty incredible guest stars coming up this season. So I'm mm-hmm. super excited to see all of them. Yes. I think we have, yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones is the big one just because that was the most I'm excited. I'm excited I'm to excited. see what she brings to the show. And she's a series regular too, which is a totally different thing than just having somebody on as a recurring guest star. Like she's going to have probably a very big storyline for her to be a regular for the second half of the season. So, I mean, I'm excited. Some of our staff didn't know who she was, which is a oh generational issue that we will address. You know who you are. Yes. If you're you know listening to this, are. we're talking to if you. You're listening. You've been you know who you are. <laughs> um, I'm curious to see, I guess my sort of theory is about Ainsley. Um, I know that we will um, explore her childhood a little bit more because I know season one, we kind of really focus on Malcolm and his flashbacks and childhood trauma, but I'm curious to see how Ainsley has truly been affected by this. And I'm, I wonder, I, I theorize that she is going to have another sort of break and it might surprise her. Who's Ainsley going to kill this time? And, and, and I mean, when we yeah. talked with the showrunners in our interview with the showrunners of the show, they said repeatedly that, you know, Ainsley was more traumatized, not only by what happened with Endicott, but her own childhood as well. Because, I mean, she was five years old when her father was arrested. And we can kind of say that, I mean, like you, you have memories from when you're five years old, especially a traumatic one like that. So For all sure. those sort of things, I think we're going to see those come back to haunt her a little bit. And I hope we get to see more her childhood because the second we got the reveal that she had an imaginary friend that was a real man hiding in their home I think we need to know what else what else little Ainsley was up to that that was like just one thing that happened to her as a child yeah I feel like also Um, can I just say I feel like that was so swept under the rug like oh yeah I had a childhood friend he was a real person uh, a murderer (laughs) that murdered and crushed people in a junkyard uh, oh my god like I don't know how you can just go through your life without thinking about that every day. I, I, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I just truly (laughs) just, and also a plus parenting by Jessica Whitley there, because when Ainsley ever said, Oh no, he's real. And here's the little gift he gave me. The fact that it took her until Ainsley was a grown woman to figure out that this man was real. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, maybe we were a little too focused on baby Malcolm. And in their home, living in their home, in their basement. (laughs) Like, do you think he got up in the middle of the night and, like, got food, water, you know, took a bath, watched some TV? Oh, absolutely. I think that that's probably how she saw him. (laughs) I bet you anything that's how she met him the first time. We need a flashback. That that entire fight scene that they did just blows my mind every single time I watch it. Crazy. That episode as a whole was amazing. It's still my favorite reveal, though, that Ainsley's imaginary friend was actually a serial killer. Yeah. Because what can any of them have a normal twist. childhood? None Give of me, them like, can have chills. a normal childhood. Like the, the yeah, idea of a four-year-old that we see oh. more of Ainsley's childhood this season. Because we've seen like a pretty like a like a decent amount of Malcolm's in the first season. Mm-hmm. So like now for them to switch over to what Ainsley's childhood was like after everything that, that that she's done would be interesting to to look forward to i also really hope that they don't i, I feel like they will but i really hope they don't tease out the details of indicott's mm. murder all the way through the end of the season because it might kill me to wait that long <laughs> to find out how he got a body to freaking estonia 
and that's where are the rugs point. and where's the couch and how did you get her to change clothes and just leave like I, I think so an many expensive questions. rug you know that's an expensive <laughs> rug. rug all right there's two like, rugs <laughs> Brianna, you you brought up a good point because I I said this last night too. I think they're almost kind of gonna do that storyline like they sort of did for Girl in the Box last season, how they dropped a hint or two every episode or every two episodes. Um, but like you said, that, that'll drive me nuts. I don't know if I can wait that long. I don't know if I can wait till the season finale uh, to find out what really happened. Yeah, I hope it's like mid season or like a few episodes in, mm-hmm. um, or just kinda, a random episode. Yeah, for sure. We're going to be like speculating when we get the new episode titles every week, aren't we? Is this the week? Is this the week? Is this the day? Is this tween oh, happen? We will. And you'll be able to see all the photos and descriptions up on Nerds and Beyond, along with typically Brianna's commentary on all of them. They're, they're just too good not to make comments on. I mean, come on. You have to. Warning. Warning. Mount danger. So now it's time for a segment that if you guys have been reading our Nerds Rewatch Prodigal rewatch articles over the summer, you'll be familiar with. It's something we like to call the Malcolm Danger Count um, because we know that our favorite profiler, Malcolm Bright, might be a genius, you know, at catching the killer, but he does make an awful lot of bad, bad decisions, bad self-preservation instincts on this gentleman. So we're going to count up all the times that he does that over the course of the season and hopefully we'll have a nice large count at the end. Um, So obviously our first one is Malcolm just going full, full danger count in the first three minutes by hanging off of a ledge with a known serial killer and provoking him as well. It's not enough to just hang out on the ledge. You also have to provoke the guy. Um, So that's, that's count number one. Uh, Yeah. And uh, that moment was crazy. Real quick, Jules, I'm sorry. Um, I Like, that whole scene was scary because, one, he leans forward like he looks like he's going to jump off the ledge. In the first three <laughs> minutes, I was like, can, can, can we get somebody? Can, call for, call for, let me, if you're call hearing me, backup. call for backup, please. <laughs> please call for backup. And when they're, like, little knife fight on the ledge, like, all of this, him, the mm-hmm. serial killer hanging off the edge, like, the whole, let's just, throw the whole just throw the whole ledge away all right it's clearly dangerous no one needs to be on it cut it off just just caution tape all of it truly like it's just just the epitome of bad decision making right there so many things happening once um we're also giving half of a count because technically this wasn't malcolm's fault per se but jerry did clock him on the head with a shoe um and and so we're gonna say that's that's a half a point it's it's not really a full it's hilarious. It's, and it's not Malcolm's fault because he didn't know Jerry was going to be there. And he also didn't know that Jerry was going to throw a shoe at him. So so we'll just say he was in danger, but it wasn't really his fault. Right. Now, this one, this one is what we all have just been dying to talk about. We have Malcolm Bright busting into a walled-in sex dungeon after being explicitly told not to by Danny, who is, oh, she is just long-suffering. She has been through it with our friend Malcolm. And we're counting this as a separate count. He proceeds to threaten the man inside while dancing with a whip in a sex dungeon. We are not making this up. This is a plot point from the actual television series, <laughs> Prodigal Son, airing on Fox. Uh, <laughs> and, so what and, did, on what did, what, and on Hulu. What, what did we think of this moment? Was Tom Payne just having the time of his life? I mean, I come think on. he was. He had to have. Like, you have to. Who, There's no way that who, wasn't 
who else can I just like reading the script I can just see him being like okay and we're doing that like all right this is this is what we're doing now like who else can say that they danced in a sex dungeon with a whip and a saw and a nail gun like oh and oh don't forget the music I mean just clearly just the jams on in the sex dungeon you have to have jams in the sex dungeon I mean what's the fun in that right I love that Danny left as well like she knew something was gonna happen and she was like you know what I'm just gonna let him do whatever he's gonna do there is no stopping Malcolm Bright yeah (laughs) oh she 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 cares she just knows there's nothing that can (laughs) there's nothing that can stop this train (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh god so after we spend time in the sex dungeon that's another count uh he antagonizes a known serial killer who has already broken into his apartment and proceeds to spar with him using the wall of weapons so this is something that we here at nerds have been excited to know since season one does malcolm just collect the weapons or does he know how to use them and we're learning he knows how to use them he knows how Very to well, use clearly. Oh yeah. I want them to slowly walk us through like every weapon on the wall over the course of however many oh seasons this show gets. I know because last year or last season we got the axe and we know that he was like mm-hmm. a renowned like axe thrower of some sort champion uh, which Silver I just metal. right exactly <laughs> oh you know <laughs> um, so for him to just whip out these haha whip out these <laughs> weapons I had to I had That's to do beyond. it puns and beyond had to do it to the podcast <laughs> yep. and the way um, he tricked him into putting the scimitar down nobody knows how to use that just kidding yeah just kidding I just yeah let me just pull this out of my bag of tricks you know or my wall of tricks um it was just hilarious and I love I like again like you guys said I just hope that we get to see his wall of weapons and it be like some sort of mystery into what weapon can Malcolm Bright wield Truly, serial killers everywhere. Beware! Do not break in to Malcolm yeah. Bright's apartment. Don't mess with. He the will bright. be able to. <laughs> don't mess with Bright. Um, and then this week, we're even giving a point to a character who normally is very sensible and does not normally do this kind of thing. But Danny charges right in without waiting for any backup. Say it with me. She didn't call for backup. I call mean, this for is backup. Danny call for backup um Mm -hmm. i mean she is normally the most responsible of the crew and i say that absolutely including jt and gill in that count she's normally the one who is doing everything by the straight and narrow and isn't it kind of funny that she charges in after telling gill oh you know you let your love for jessica get in the way she lets her love for malcolm get in the way and she charges in without waiting what did you guys think about that i loved it I loved it. I love a little. I like her breaking the rules. Yeah, I like her breaking the rules for. I would say her man, but obviously that's not. We hope. That is a personal preference. Right. Exactly. (laughs) We we hope it happens, but we're excited to see their friendship blossom in season two. But um, he's a long way from being in the headspace to be in a relationship. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, If anyone shouldn't be dating right now, it's Malcolm Bright. He really should be giving it a break. I think. Yeah, no, no Tinder, no Bumble, none of that. So Match.com. What happened with, with Eve? With Eve, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got to take some time, our poor baby. Yeah, and yeah now, but he just needs to learn to call for yeah. backup. That's it. That's just, that's why we need to call for the backup. podcast, the podcast. Call for backup. Call, call for backup. Maybe he will finally <laughs> learn this season. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe this will be it. And so that is, we're up to four. So episode one, we have four for our danger count uh this will definitely grow i think 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> as the, oh, yeah. as the season yeah. goes on, for sure. We'll have 100%. to see if this can top our number because I think last season, the highest that we hit, I think, was five in an episode. Five mm-hmm. separate six, episodes in an episode. So was I it think, really I, I six? There was one with six. I think one was six. Oh my lord. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll have to see if Malcolm can break his own record in season two and get to seven separate danger calls in one episode. All right, guys. So as a parting note for our podcast, we really admire Malcolm and how he uses affirmations um, every day when he wakes up. But um, we want to be ending our episode with a little motivational quote and or affirmation to hopefully inspire you and something that you can take with you for the rest of the week. So this week is you alone are enough. You have nothing to prove to anybody. Maya Angelou. So I know sometimes we all feel like we're not enough, whether we aren't doing enough, saying enough, giving enough, anything, whatever it is. But I just want everyone listening to know that we just need to remember, especially in our lives right now with a pandemic and the craziness of our world that we're all doing the best we can. And that's enough. So whether you're in your car, in your room by yourself, just take a moment and tell yourself, I am enough. If you're ever about to go stand on a ledge next to a desperate serial killer or confront a killer in a sex dungeon owned by a man who also owns a guillotine, don't be like Malcolm and call for backup. That's our show for this week. Thank you guys for listening and be sure to check back next week for an all new episode. And in the meantime, you can follow us over on Twitter at Nerds and Beyond for all of your nerdy news.